This is Channel 253. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is the Nerd Farmer Podcast, a national conversation through a local lens. Greetings, greetings. This is Nate Bowling, host of the Nerd Farmer podcast, coming to you live from the sun-drenched and glorious Summit Club here at Cheney Stadium. Not the usual location for the show. Uh, last episode, we talked to Bev Yanez, midfielder for The Rain, and we also talked to Casey Catherwood, who's the creative director for The Rainier's Extravaganza, and then Aaron Artman. Uh, today is going to be dope. I have the pleasure of talking to, frankly, one of my heroes uh, and one of my favorite athletes, Megan Rapino of Rain FC, and the majority owner of the team, Bill Predmore. So before we get started really fast, just some housekeeping. Uh, Channel 253 is a local podcast network, and we'd love your support. Uh, we put out 25 episodes of Nerd Farmer a year, and you spend about 25 hours a year to listen to the show. And we would love to have your support. It's $4 a month or $40 a year. All right, enough of my yammering. Let's get to the good stuff. So welcome to the show, y'all. Thanks for having us. Hello. So I'm, I'm just going to own that I'm really excited for this. Like uh, Before Mike's went on, I said that, and I'll say on the air, that I think you're the most consequential soccer player of this generation, male or female, and I'm just glad to have you on. Thank you. <laughs> he does play oh, a bit yeah. of Sunday League. You met he Megan. quite good. <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. No, that's, that's perfect. Your whole setup, I was, I was like, I'm your hero. This is awesome. I feel really good about this interview. So. Thank you. Yeah. So, Bill, it's awesome. you, you laid out in Sounder at Heart kind of the reasons behind the move, but Sounder at Heart's a pretty wonky site for nerds like me. So could you kind of just lay out for the audience, uh, why are Rain FC here in town at Genie Stadium now? Yeah, I mean, look, it, this, uh, I think I described it in the... Uh, you know, sort of the presentation we had down here a month and a half ago is it really bittersweet, right? We loved being at Memorial. I guess I, <clears throat> I don't want to speak for Megan, but you know, we I loved think, it. yeah, there was. I mean, it 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 was it had its rustic charm, right? I think there was something about it that um, that did feel good, but uh, you know, from a fan experience perspective, it was really challenged, and there was just not much one could do to solve those problems for any reasonable amount of money. Uh, you know, despite, I think, our efforts to try and find a way. Um, on top of that, the field, which probably, you know, did not love playing on. Taking, uh, taking years off my life, that field. <laughs> yeah, it was not a great pitch. Um, and it, we were at a spot with the league where we had to do something about that, right? It wasn't, didn't meet U.S. Soccer Pro League standards. We'd had waivers really since we came in the league, first down at Starfire and then at Memorial Stadium for five years. So we had to do something. And replacing a you know, turf field in a stadium that we don't really control that's being used, I don't know how much, eight hours a day or something, right? Whatever gets crazy used from, you know, all sorts of, uh, you know, high school teams are renting it out. Just was not practical to stay in that stadium. And we spent the better part of a year looking around at different options and, and it got very lucky and, you know, found a new home here at Cheney Stadium, which, you know, I think six weeks in or so, it's been, you know, everything we could hope for. Megan, can you talk about the specifically the turf thing, right? So I, I, I'm a duffer. Like, I, I play indoor soccer occasionally. Yes. And so, like, all I play on is turf fields. Can you talk about how, for a high-performing athlete, the difference between playing on, uh, frankly, decades-old turf, it seems like a memorial, versus well, real grass? Five years. <laughs> five years old, but, yeah, but yes, not good enough regardless. So, like, yeah. how big of a difference for you as a player is that? Um, it's actually a huge difference, and it's twofold. So there's a... There's sort of a performance part of it, and then there's um, the the physical part of it. So the turf obviously gets beaten down, even if you just have one team over five years playing on it. But when you have bumper shoot and intramurals and you know high school football and sort of everything under the sun and a pro team playing on it, um, it just gets beat down. It's hard. There's no cushion. Um, and it's like the shock has to go somewhere. So it's ankles, knees, lower back. Um, and I think the you know the the way the season is, um, it'd be great maybe if we could kind of expand it to ten months and play one game a month or one game a week and um, you know lengthen it out a little bit. But that's not the reality of it. So from a physical standpoint, it's just tough to be on 
that kind of hard surface um, with the, you know, wearing the cleats that we have that are basically nothing with like little studs on the bottom. Sure. Um, it's tough. And then from, from a soccer perspective, um, it just doesn't play the way that the ball should. Um, you can't get the skip on it. Um, obviously, it's a lot harder, so it's bouncy. Um, you can't like chip the ball. It just plays a lot differently than um, I think ideally you want to have your field play if you can, you know, have it any way you want. So we manage. Um, obviously, it's not the, the worst thing that you could play on, but, um, you know, if you can have it better, if you can have a grass do, grass field like we have at Cheney now, um, I would much prefer that. Okay. So, Megan, be honest here. When Bill first came to you and said, we're going to move the team to Tacoma, Washington, uh, what were your thoughts? Well, he, he, he called me, or we, we uh, got on a call, um, and it was a very lengthy and, like, well thought out and sort of all I's dotted and T's crossed explanation. So, actually, at the end of it, because um, kind of in the beginning, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, we're moving to Tacoma so far. But then by the end of it, um, you know, considering all the options, um, you know, kind of being told what the stadium was going to be like, um, obviously the new ownership group, um, the potential here in Tacoma, you know, understanding all the limitations that um, that memorial had and, um, you know, just feeling like we were a little, there wasn't a, a clear path to like really, really thrive in Seattle. Um, and I think that's kind of the, one of the, you know, the main things I've learned in being in this league and other leagues and just as a as an athlete in general, like you have to be adaptable and nimble, and um, you know it's like if we're not thriving there, we can't be married to it. Mm -hmm. um, so we we have to move, we have to be bold and make changes and do what we need to do. So by the end of it, I was like, okay, I'm getting an electric car and <laughs> we're gonna be good, <laughs> and it's it's gonna be fine. Like I I really truly feel like this is the best way forward for the club. Um, and it's going to be a great move, and I think we're going to be super well-supported down here in Tacoma and, and give the fans uh, an amazing show to watch. I was going to ask that. Do you feel like you can feel excitement in the community? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, admittedly, I haven't been down here that much. Sure. Um, I've only been in, in preseason a little bit, but absolutely. Um, and even just seeing like how well-supported the baseball team is here and the Sounders, too, or Defiance, um, and just hearing, like, the possibilities of what it could be like in the stadium. Um, I'm just thrilled. Um, I feel like we also are really confident in the show that we put on. And, you, be. you know, if I need to ramp up the antics at any time to get more people in the stands, <laughs> I'm, I'm fully on board for that. So we're ready for the entertainment. One of my favorite things about you is if you just put Megan Rapino in gifts, the oh, just <laughs> collection of shenanigans that comes out is just like off the charts. Yeah. And so, yes, I'm, I'm here for the antics. Yeah. Actually, my girlfriend, she does send me back gifts of myself sometimes. And I'm like, <laughs> this is not fair. This huh? is not funny. It's hilarious, actually. Well, Perfect. when it's time, I have a realtor friend. We'll talk about moving to Tacoma. Okay. Uh, so, Bill, some kind of wonky questions for you really fast. Sure. Uh, how are ticket sales? I think so far so good. Um, you know, yeah, it's it's a tough thing to say. We don't have anything to compare it to, right? Sure. Um, you know, I the one thing that I can look at are season ticket sales year over year. We're actually doing better down here than we did up in Seattle last year. So that is an encouraging sign. That's interesting, actually. I don't, yeah. I don't think the average person. So you've sold more season tickets. Yeah. For Cheney that you did in Memorial. Yeah, which is not what we expected. Yeah. Um, that, you know, the transition obviously happened, you know, probably later than we would have liked, um, really late in the season ticket cycle. So um, I think there's probably been more, uh, it's probably been good on both sides. I think there's sure. more people from Seattle than we expected are retaining their tickets. And then there's more that have purchased in Tacoma, which is, which is great. Um, you know, a lot of our ticket sales are sort of over that last you know, week to 10 days before a game. So that's where we'll really yeah. start to see well, what it's going to be. But I'm, I, you know, I'm optimistic. On the, you know, on the buzz question, I would say it does feel different. Um, that I always felt like it was tough in, you know, the Seattle market. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of like great things to go do, right? Sounders, amazing experience, or the Seahawks, or the Mariners, or whatever. There's just a ton of stuff to do, and it was, I think, hard for us to, you know, make enough noise, um, you know, where we could get that sort of buzz going with the sort of average individual in the city. So it, it feels like down here we've got uh, a little more opportunity to, you know, to create that buzz, and it feels like it's happening. I'm just going to go on the record here. Uh, the Rainiers have a 24-year head start on you, <laughs> and Defiance have a one-year head start, and like for me, what I'm hearing, I think you're not drawing both. 
I think. Right. Wow. I'll t- I help. like that. I don't know if Aaron's going to be excited to hear that, <laughs> but uh, I love it. So, yeah, that, you know, I, I actually believe like what we've got when people come out and give it a shot, they're going to love it. Yeah. So I always thought in Seattle, if we can get people to come out to a game, they'll come back, right? It's a, you know, Megan and the team, they put on a great show. Yeah. It's It was tough to support it in the stadium we have, but I think... You know, we had an event here, I guess, a week ago, and, and you know, talked about Cheney's little gem for the city. That uh, it's an amazing, you know, it's not a huge stadium, but it's got all of those things that you would want to, you know, sort of have a m- modern match day experience. So I, yeah. I think it will be the right blend. Uh, yeah. My first crossed. lane match was the final uh, at Starfire against uh, FCKC, yeah, and yeah. I, I, from that moment, I was hooked. Like I, I, I love the game. That was uh, a great game. Yeah. So Megan, good, good game, bad result, but yeah. yeah. You talked about what it means for you as a player. Can you talk about like what it means for the team to be coming south? Um, I think it's actually really great for the team. Um, I think that kind of like what what Bill was saying, um, at times I think we got sort of lost in the mix and even sort of individually. Obviously, Seattle is an incredible city. Um, But I think there's so much opportunity to really grow here and like sort of be one of the most important things or one of the most exciting things in town. Um, and I, th- I think that's really cool. I think we have a, an amazing opportunity to really connect with the fan base in a different way than we were ever able to um, or was probably ever possible in Seattle. I think we can be not just much like more part of the community, but like we're going to be like living here, everyone. And like it just feels a little bit more tight knit, like they have skin in the game and we have skin in the game as well. So I think from an individual perspective, um, it's going to be great. I think most people move down here. I think there's probably only one or two of us um, that will commute from Seattle. Um, but I would imagine I'll be staying down here quite a bit if the commute continues to stay wild. But, uh, yeah, I just think it's like players are, are excited. It's beautiful down here. Like their apartments have amazing views of the water. Yeah. And, um, you know, the stadium's great. Like I just think, you know, it's – it's different from Seattle, but it's still like an incredible market in our league. So last season, you all had a pretty good season. You made the playoffs, I believe. We're in the semis. Uh, Obviously, like you are the most famous person on the team, but can you talk about, for folks who are going to be new to the rain experience, who are other players on the roster they should look out for? Yeah, definitely. So we have a number of international players. Um, Obviously, Jody Taylor, she's an English international player. Um, Ali Long, um, Teresa Nielsen, uh, Rumi Utsugi's Japanese player, um, Lydia and Goal. I think some of the younger players, Darian Jenkins, um, I think she'll probably pr- play out wide on the right. Um, I think she has a huge opportunity this year to, to make a big impact. Um, I think that's an area where we can improve and just become much more dangerous, um, balanced in the attack. So I feel like she's going to get a lot of opportunities. I'm super excited. Um, about her personally. Um, and then obviously the old ones are still, we're still kicking, we're still fun. But uh, yeah, I think it's gonna be a good opportunity for, for some of those younger, even like Morgan Andrews, it was her first year last year. Um, so kind of getting accustomed to A, the level of the league and the quality of the league. Um, and then getting used to Vlaco's, uh, you know, uh, kind of system and philosophy. And so that sort of second year, that kind of like sophomore year for everyone, I think everyone feels a lot more comfortable and like are used to the league, and now they can really uh, let themselves flourish. You've played in other leagues around the world. Can you just mm-hmm. talk for listeners, like where is NWSL uh, in like the in the, the the tier the tiers of like leagues around the world? It's it, as a league as a whole and competition wise, quality wise, it's in a tier all its own. I really believe that. Um, there are certain teams that are also in a tier all their own. Sure. Take it, you know. Lyon, I think, is there. Yeah. Um, Wolfsburg is there. The Arsenal ladies. Um, really Arsenal is good, obviously. Um, but there, you know, it's it's hard in those leagues because the the quality for the other teams is just not there at all. Um, even the second and third and fourth best teams in those leagues um, are are not even close to the level of the first team. So, from a week in and week out competition standpoint, and the way that this league challenges you and makes you better and sharpens you um there's nothing in my opinion that i've seen or that i've watched that's like even close to the level of this league and then so bill for you the league is entering its seventh year yep uh 
you're not a doctor, but like, I, like to me, it's, it's really great to see that this league is, has sustained itself. Like the WPSL folded. Um, what would you describe as like the health of the league? I think overall, you know, not bad. You know, getting to seven years was, I, I think, a pretty incredible achievement. Um, you know, considering what happened, in, you know, in the past for sure, and, and really what's probably happened, you know, globally. So, uh, you know, I feel pretty good about things that. You know, I'd like to see, and you know, I think we probably need to see expansion in the future, and that's something I think the, the group's pretty focused on, you know, trying to make happen. So, you know, I don't think our success is dependent on it, but uh, it feels like the forward momentum there would be helpful. So, I think in you know 2021, uh, you know, that's that that's hopefully a, an indicator of growth. But but overall, I think feeling pretty good about things. Megan, I'm going to ask you the same question twice, once about mm-hmm. the rain and once about the national team. Okay. Uh, where do you think you're going to get the majority of your minutes positionally for the rain this season coming up? Um, probably wide left. Okay. Um, I think we'll probably play 4-3-3 three, three still. Um, at times it looked more, a little bit more like a 4-4-2, four, four, and Jody um, and I kind of played up top, and I sort of was able to kind of flow left, but more so underneath her. Um, so I would imagine that would mostly be the same. Okay. And you've played over a ton of, you've played under, under a ton of coaches in mm-hmm. your career. Uh, what is playing for Vlatko like? So when I, I was interviewing mm-hmm. Bev last week, uh, she was very complimentary. Like he's got a soccer brain, apparently like nobody's business. Uh, what's it like playing for him? Well, I don't want to compliment him publicly. Obviously <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to go that far. Um, I actually feel like just insanely lucky um, in the NWSL to be coached by the coaches that I've that I've been coached by. Like to have that later in my career um, has been like a game changer for me. Laura was obviously amazing before. Um, Flacco is incredible. Um, his, his attention to detail, not only with each individual player, but with the team as a whole and the vision that he has, the way that he likes to play. Um, he's extremely demanding, but in a very realistic way. He's never going to just, like, get on you for nothing, which, like, really turns players off if you're just, like, riding someone for nothing. He always has a specific um, thing that he's happy to, like, show you film and walk you through. If you're ever like, I don't think this is, like, really true, he's like, oh, okay, great, sit down. (laughs) Let's just sit down and, like, hash this out. Um, But he also has a really, like, amazing way of seeing and demanding the potential out of out of each individual and the team but i think you know for each individual you know to to have that and know that like you're going to get better and you're going to be challenged and as soon as you you know sort of add that one thing to your game then you're on to the next thing that you're trying to add to your game so for me i feel like obviously playing um, you know having to kind of juggle both teams but being able to come back here and like have that demand on me and like have my mind sharpened like that and add little things that I can then take to the international level is is invaluable and he just has a good way he like I mean his jokes are okay they're not great but like (laughs) he tries to joke he's like has a good sort of rapport in the team and um you know he wants to win ultimately and he's proven that uh nobody knows better than us unfortunately he's proven um you know how successful he can be um, you know, with the right pieces around him and, and how successful he is in, in those biggest moments. I have a friend named Kat Peterson, and she is the varsity soccer coach at my school mm-hmm. for both the, both the uh, boys and the girls. And so I, I wonder for you, so you have Jill Ellis coaching the national team yep. and then Vlaco here at the Reign. Uh, what are your thoughts about the role of women in coaching and where they're perceived to be allowed to tread and not tread? It's interesting with that. I, I feel that we get this question a lot with that. Um, also, like referees, like sure. should all the referees be women in this? And it sometimes it's difficult to answer that question because for me as a professional athlete, I want the best person to be coaching me. So with that said, I want then like overfunding of like coaching programs for females um, and like programs that either ex-players are going into or sort of like coaching academies that they're going into. So that like in my lifetime, it's probably not realistic um, for all of the coaches to be women or all of the coaches to at least have men and women um, sort of equally represented. But I think, you know, within the next sort of generation of kind of like these, these players that are playing right now or, or, or have just retired, like they should be the next ones. They should be getting that 
that um, training and funding and, and all of that. Same with the referees. Like, I think eventually you just want to get to the point where um, it's just equal and the best person is getting the job. Yeah. But until you have everything equal on all sides, then like I think you do need overinvestment and you do need to focus on having more women and giving more women opportunities in all of these higher positions. Sorry, I just pictured Abby Wambach like on a sideline screaming <laughs> yeah. at male players. Yeah. He's screaming laughing side. <laughs> uh, Bill, question for you. Uh, so like the, the fans who I have and listeners I have who are soccer junkies are already in. They're going to be here in Summit Club. They're going to be there. Uh, for the person who's listening who's like a uh, soccer novice or soccer skeptic, uh, besides the opportunity to boo Portland repeatedly, yes. uh, why should folks come out to the games? Well, that's a pretty good reason. Oh, to, yeah. to yeah. Portland, Portland so. is, a, is a ritual in my household, for yeah. sure. Even yeah. if we don't play Portland, you just come out and boo yeah. Portland. That's totally, <laughs> Orlando. That's totally fine. Uh, yeah. uh, look, I, I, I think the game has everything that you want, right? You're going to spend two hours out here. It's going to be a great environment. It's a great show. I think it is great soccer, period. It's not great women's soccer, and it's just great soccer. So, you know, I think if you like the game at all, or you think you might like the game, it's worth coming out and giving a shot, and I bet 80% or more will come back and go, this is, yeah, it was great, and we'll come to another game, so. I, I like that point about the level, because, so I've been an MLS season ticket holder for years. Uh, I'm going to be a rain season holder this year, but the Megan Rapino level player in the men's game is not showing up at Cheney Stadium or uh, at Central Lake anytime soon. And so that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, look, you're going to see here like the best players in the world, yep. right? That on the opening night against Orlando, you got Marta, who. You know, it's got to go down in. She's a you know, goat. Yeah, one of the best yeah. to have ever played the game. Um, you know, Alex Morgan will be out here. Um, Ooh, you know, sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, has has done great things um, on the national team. Like the Ali Krieger. I mean, they've got a great, great squad. Um, and you go down the league to make its point. You can go through every team, and there's a player or players where you're like, that, that is a world class player, either U.S. player or international, and. I, I think it is consistently good entertainment. You just don't have that many. I'd go back and look. Maybe there's one or two games where I'm like, oh, that was a kind of a clunker. But almost all of them, there's something in there where you're like, okay, that was, I was worth two hours of my life to come out here and you know, watch a game. So, yeah, hopefully people come out and give it a shot. Okay. So we're taking a break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the women's national team and kind of like the lay of the land there. Um, my upcoming trip to Paris for the World Cup I'm excited about. Hey. And also listener questions. We'll be back. This is Eric Hanberg, host of the We Art Tacoma podcast, and I'd like to take a moment to thank Workforce Central for sponsoring Channel 253. Our economy has been heating up and jobs are coming to our region, but in Pierce County, we still have two big problems. One, a lot of our workers are getting on I-5 and heading north to work in Seattle. And two, many of our residents don't know how to get trained for the jobs that are open in Pierce County. This is where Workforce Central comes in. Workforce Central wants to help you find a job here. Workforce Central partners with Pierce County businesses, local governments, nonprofits, organized labor, and schools to get our workforce prepared for living wage jobs in our area. If you need training to help you get a job or need to advance your skills to land a better job, our partners at WorkSource in Tacoma can help. Call 253-593-7300. Right now, there's a demand for workers in industries like healthcare, construction, transportation, and advanced manufacturing. Workforce Central helps get Pierce County residents trained up for these jobs. And Workforce Central is making it easier than ever to find these jobs. Head over to workforce-central.org to search every job listing in Pierce County, all in the same place. So put your talents to work, ditch your commute, and love your lifestyle. Thanks Workforce Central for your support of Channel 253. And we are back. So Farm Fam, um, a quick reminder, our next Nerd Farm Reads Book Club is a very uplifting title called How Democracies Die. Again, How Democracies Die. Uh, so go to King's Books, your local library, pick it up, and tweet about it using hashtag Nerd Farm Reads, and uh, enjoy the misery of the modern uh, world with us. All right, <laughs> pivoting. Uh, I just want to get into it. Uh, what lessons are you taking away from the She Believes Cup? A lot of lessons. Um, I think actually one of our uh, assistant coaches, Steve Swanson, who's at uh, University of Virginia, 
said it best. Um, he was like, there's, there's tons of lef- lessons in here. Obviously, we got a number of goals scored against us, uh, missed a bunch of chances, had a bunch of errors defensively as a team, tactical errors. But I think the biggest lesson is that you have to learn the lesson. It's not enough to like know you made the mistake. You can't ever make the same mistake again. That mistake is going to get you knocked out of the quarterfinals. So I think for us, for each individual player to like really dig in and like ensure that you are learning the lesson and then you know bringing it back to your club and working on it and making sure um, that it's better. I think also tactically, we just need to be a lot um, sounder and a lot smarter. I think sometimes we just let the game do what the game wants and we have to like exert our control over the game, which takes a lot of forward thinking. So like, what exactly are we trying to do against um, maybe a team like Japan who's not as athletic as us, but are gonna be very technical, mm-hmm. very tactical, very organized. How are we gonna break them down? Like we're not, we can't approach the game against England the same way that we're approaching the game against Japan. We have to start being much more thoughtful and, and analytical about the tactics that we bring to each game and implementing those tactics in each game. Because the World Cup, is like seven games in a row, bang, 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 and you're going to be playing like the most different teams that you could possibly, you know, good teams. We have some weaker teams in our bracket. We have Sweden. We have, you know, then you start to get into the knockout round, hopefully, and you could be playing a Japan, and then you could be playing a Germany, and then you're playing, you know, whoever. Um, And you just have to be like really tuned in and making sure that like you're taking an analytical and like a, a... a sort of thoughtful approach to each game and its tactics. Like you, you can't show up at this level and just like play the game. It's, yeah. You're not playing the game. You have to think it first. One of my listeners had a question about the branding of the She Believes Cup. <sighs> okay, so you, you, you made about four different expressions there. Can you <laughs> speak to that, please? Well, I hate it, <laughs> first of all. I like the inspirational aspect of it. It would be great to have it live as... It did live when it started, which was um, created by Lauren Holiday, um, she believes, which was like a, a sort of hashtag initiative before the last World Cup to like sort of get that groundswell. Um, it just seems much more of like a slogan than like an you know, International Women's Cup or something like that, or International Football Cup. Like you have four of the best teams in the world and calling it like she believes, like show me, the, obviously this is so stupid, but like show me that he believes, like nobody's calling it that because that name sucks. Sorry, for the record, my wife is like over here like doing reggae <laughs> yes, horn. Yes, <laughs> yes, she's aiming and over there. Um, it's just not like, it's not good enough, you know? Like I just think there was obviously, you know, you want to capture the the groundswell with like inspiring little girls and everything like that. But I think too often with women's sports, and we see this on the national team a lot, it, too often it's about that. Like we need to go beyond just the little girls we're inspiring. We're inspiring them. We need to then inspire all the people that you know watch the men's game that don't watch our game. We need to inspire like my dad and my grandpa and like my aunt who doesn't watch. We want to inspire everyone. So if you have that narrow of a message, it's just it's not good enough. It's not thoughtful enough. It's funny, like I remember I caught myself last episode, I was about to say, if you have a daughter in town, you should bring her to a game, Mm -hmm. but that's bullshit. Like if you have a son, you should bring them to the game because they should see the top women in the world playing. Mm -hmm. I I, want to lean into this question a little bit more because you've kind of opened the door here and Bill, this might be time for you to lean back a little bit. (laughs) Uh, So like the US women, whether folks realize it or not, are like the Germany or the Brazil of soccer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you're praying for a World Cup which is coming up this summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a, let's see, gold medalist, mm-hmm. uh, World Cup winner, and have uh, second place in a World Cup in your career. Mm-hmm. And so like that's, that's the creme de la creme. But you're not always treated like that by the Federation and frankly by fans. Mm-hmm. So what is it like for you as a world-class athlete to be preparing for like the greatest competition in your sport and then simultaneously like fighting this fight against your Federation at the same time? Um, it is exhausting. Um, at times um, to, to have to simultaneously like be the very best that you can be, prepare um, do everything you need to do, prove yourself on the field and then step off the field and then have to again prove it or like convince someone that you're worth what you just did, it's like I already did it um, 
that can be extremely um, frustrating and exhausting at times, and it's just not fair. Um, in the same breath, it's you know it it it's where we are um, as a society and as a country, and um, it's it's not good enough for us or not enough for us to just say like oh this is exhausting like blah blah blah. We have to then do something about it. Um, so I think on the team we've always taken this um, very seriously and have so much pride in pushing things forward and you know constantly being that that voice to the federation or to the fans. Um, if we have to get up and convince people of our worth, you know, over and over again, um, we'll do that. And we would like to not have to do that. Um, but you know, if it comes to it, we we will, and we're willing to do that. And we understand how important that is. But I wish some people would just like take a step back. I think you get caught kind of in the, like the digging in of your heels, kind of attitude i wish people would just step back and ask themselves like why we don't deserve it mm -hmm. like, why why don't you think um if you've never come to a game come to a game and then tell me why i don't deserve to be as you know paid as much as an mls player like it doesn't mean that you have to like compare this to the mls in a way but i think people just you know see how big it is like yeah the mls is huge it also has billions of dollars of funding over all of these years and hundreds of millions of dollars of funding year after year after year so like it's not enough to just you know say oh well see they're more popular it's like they're more popular for for reasons that are out of our control um and like we have a great product so i wish people would just take that perspective a little bit more and, and take the sort of why not and take the opposite and just, you know, it's like you've been sort of leaning out of it for all these years. Maybe just like lean in for a little bit and see where we go. Yeah. Um, a, a listener asked, uh, so the mother of sass, which has a great handle, at underscore mm -hmm. liberal killjoy. <laughs> uh, they, they said basically, uh, what is the final straw or what was the final straw for you that made you want to uh, get on board with the lawsuit and think it was time for a lawsuit? Um, there really wasn't, frankly, a final straw. Um, this is part of the extension of like the EEOC process, uh, gender discrimination claim that we filed a couple of years ago. Um, and we just felt like while the EEOC did put a lot of resources behind it, we just, you know, we weren't able to get U.S. soccer to the table. We weren't able to, um, you know, start that mediation negotiation process with them and so we just felt like this was the right time to take that next step um obviously with the world cup in mind we wanted to do it early enough to have time um before the world cup so we can like you know do all the media and have um you know the sort of fanfare about it right now but then also like we want to focus on the world cup um and we so we didn't really want it to be too close and then to let it go another you know six months or something and wait um which is something that we didn't feel like we could afford to do we felt like this was our our best strongest step that we could make at this point okay. so bill and i know you've tread, tread carefully here <laughs> uh, as a male that owns a women's sports team and sees how your team is treated in the marketplace uh, next door to a men's team what do you make of all this <clears throat> yeah look it's been a uh eye-opening experience for me that uh, particularly over the last year and right trying to find a home we've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people and I, I, what I have come to believe and what, what I what I think is true is that there are sort of structural inequities um, that run back you know decades <laughs> maybe centuries right that uh, that's why we're at where we're at today, right? That I think to, you know, to Pino's point here, like today, you know, like equal maybe is not enough, right? That you've spent, you think about how much investments gone into men's sports, mm -hmm. just from the stadium building or whatever, you look at all this stuff over a period of decades, right? You're talking about tens of billions of dollars that have been focused on building men's sports and how much has been invested in women's sports, right? Like, that it's not as popular as men's. Well, yeah, like uh, give me ten billion dollars <laughs> yeah. and let's see how popular the rain is, right? So, I I think there's a lot of work to you know, sort of unwind what I've I see as like a, a vicious cycle, right? That 
because the money's been poured into men's sports, they have these great places to play, they get on television, right? People are watching that television and informs their view of what makes, like what is a valid sport, right? What is a good sport? So when they grow up, what do they want to watch? What do they do, right? When they get a job, well, it's, you know, look at almost any newspaper. Who's writing the articles about sports? And it's dudes, right? You'll have a newsroom of, you know, 30 people, there'll be like two women in it. And they're not, it's not the editor, Right, it's somebody that's a reporter, right? And so they're not even, they might be a great writer, they might love women's sports, but they're not in a position of power where they can do anything about it. So, you know, I even look, you know, something like, you know, video games, right? Until very recently, it's all dudes. So it's very difficult to, I think, sort of change people's perception of the value of women's sports. And again, without making any specific comment about the lawsuit, I can say we're in a situation where maybe all of us need to over-invest in here to change how people think about it. And because it's not just about the sport. I think it's how you know, women are dealt with, period. Yeah. So, you know, again, this is, you know, I'm focused on this on the sports side of it right now for obvious reasons, but when I say it's eye-opening, it's been you know, sort of a, a sort of disheartening experience and mostly out of my own you know, ignorance. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm not a woman. I haven't had those direct experiences. And yeah, it's, it, it is tough to see. So I understand the, you know, completely the frustrations and you know, whatever. I think there's, uh, there's something that has to be done. It's just not, it is not good enough. I think that's the, is the right way to put it. I feel convicted by something you said. If I think about how many hours I've spent playing FIFA, like I can talk to you about like the second division in Holland and all the team names. Mm -hmm. um, I can yeah. talk to you about rosters uh, in Serie B, uh, but I don't have a familiarity with the women's game because everything I'm exposed to, like, I, I, okay, confession time. Uh, I've got a copy of F FIFA 14 that I've been playing for like five years where I have Eddie Johnson in a career mode and Eddie's like, <laughs> Eddie's like 37 years old and like hanging on in the second division in, in Holland. And I have never played FIFA with a women's team. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and again, I don't, the, the tough thing is I don't think it's a, it's not like a conspiracy. Yeah. It's just the, what people are used to, right? And you are, I, I think people like the things they're comfortable with. And I'll, I, I, you know, I've talked about this in the past, right? You know, I think about, I, you know, read this sort of study about uh, why you like the food you like, right? And a lot of it has to do with what your mother ate while you were, you know, uh, inside there. You get used to that, and so those are the foods you like when you, you know, when you, when you pop out. And I think from a media diet perspective, it's very similar, right? Like, I grew up in the, you know, 70s, and I'm, you know, sitting on the couch with, like, whatever, crappy 13-inch TV or whatever, and what are you watching? It's the wide world of sports. And what is it? The dudes, right? Like occasionally you got Nadia Kamenich or maybe you got some Dorothy Hamill, but basically it's, you know, men broadcasters talking about male sports. And again, nobody was like trying to be evil about it. They just, that's just what they showed, but I'm sitting there watching it with my dad or whoever, and like that's what I got used to watching. And, you know, even for me, I think it's, it's like it's shaped my perception of what what is valuable in sport. Like, I'm embarrassed to say, like, I'd, I'd not seen a Storm game, mm -hmm. um, you know, before having the team. And, I, you know, I go now all the time, and, like, I, like I, I missed out on this whole, like, aspect of life because of those experiences I had earlier that, uh, you know, I think almost all of us are, have this unconscious bias that's been shaped by the media diet that we've consumed for, for basically our whole life. So it's, you know, to Pino's point, I don't think this is like, we're not solving this tomorrow, um, that this is next generation or generation after that, but it has to start somewhere, right? You have to say, we got an issue, we got to identify it, and then we got to work to solve it. And probably the biggest way to do that is going to be investment, um, which again, tough to say, um, but I think that's probably the solution to the problem. But you made a point that I like though. Like, so one of the reasons why the storm are so popular is the Sonics left. And so there's an opportunity, to, and they have an opportunity then to occupy a space that was occupied by a men's team in people's hearts. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, frankly, that we're seeing the same thing happen with the women's national team. I think a lot of fans uh, have been turned off by the men's managerialist two years in the wilderness. And so I'm wondering, like, Megan, do you feel... Cause, so what I perceive is, is that a lot of people are really frustrated with the men's soccer team, are turning toward the women's soccer team and getting excited about this World Cup season. Are you feeling that same thing? 
Yeah, I definitely am. Um, I mean, I think, I mean, it sort of goes in that cycle anyways. Obviously, the Men's World Cup, you know, comes a year before us and then we're the year after. Um, and I think that sort of void left um, by the men not being in the World Cup and then, you know, not having a coach and sort of having to, you know, sort of float through um, this time where they need to find a GM and head coach and all of that, new players and, you know, a lot of those players, the fans don't know. Um, but I think, too, like, fans want to be a part of the experience and they want to be a part of, like, the vibe of it all. Like, does everyone who goes to a you know, NBA game know what the hell is going on? No. They, like, like the, in, the entertainment factor yeah. and the experience. They like the community part of it. So I think with the men's team, obviously, we really, like, I felt that last summer. I was like, man, this World Cup feels far away because we didn't have that, like, we didn't have our heart in it. Um, and we didn't have, like, our boys in it, you know? And so I think people are, like, they sort of were ready for that. They were, like, gearing up 2000, what was it, 18, 2017 to, like, go to World Cup 2018. And then they were, like, oh, damn. Yeah. But then, like, all that excitement's still there. So it's, like, cool, you know, redirect it to, to us and be part of the exact same groundswell and excitement and be a part of that community and like come support us or like just you know get in the bars like that's fun yeah. to just do that yeah I, again i will be there yes. um same question from earlier for you where do you expect to see the majority of your minutes uh in france um definitely on the left like high on the left um i think that we're we're pretty you know at times i think we you know if we want to close out a game or something we can go to a, a little bit lower of a block and it'd be more like a a winger type but um, yeah, I, I think definitely on that on that left forward. Yeah. Uh, so you all are in Group F, which means mm-hmm. that you've drawn against Chile, Sweden, and then Thailand. Yep. Uh, any insights you have about how that group's going to shake out, in your opinion? Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I mean, obviously Sweden and, and us, uh, top teams in that. Um, I think both of us should advance out of that group. Um, us in Sweden is always a tough game. We yeah. just know each other so well, know the style so well, and just have, have so much history. Um, I mean, I think we have a great opportunity to come out of that group first and put ourselves um, first out of that group and, and be feeling really good and strong. I think we also have an opportunity to, to not get beat up street, you know, three straight games in a row. Obviously, it's a lot of games in a short amount of time, so we can kind of without obviously being disrespectful to Chile and Thailand, I think we can find our feet a little bit in that um, tournament where, you know, thinking back to to 2015, I mean, we have Australia right out the gate. That game was nuts. Um, we have Sweden in the group stage. We have um, Nigeria in the group stage. Like, those are tough yeah. games. So I think that we can we can grow and build into it a little bit. But, you know, also, like... The, the gaps are just so small now that, um, you know, we want to have good performances and feel good about every game and grow into those, you know, right from the jump. I don't want to put your age out there into the world, yeah. but this is likely your last World Cup, maybe like one more after this. But mm-hmm. um, what does that mean to you? Um, it's kind of interesting. I feel like I've, I've gone through a little bit of, uh, I feel like I'm in my second career. Um, the first, like, up until you know, end of 2015 was pretty much my first career. And now I feel like I'm in this whole new career. Um, and really this, just a whole new mindset of what it means to be an aging athlete. Obviously, um, you know, I'm no closer than anyone to, to Sue and, you know, seeing that she's still like balling out at 38, um, in amazing condition and the way that, you know, she Wait, takes so 38 now. Yeah. Are you serious? I know. Damn. Sorry. I know. I, I didn't. Re- it's crazy. Continue. I'm like, how are you getting? Are you like Benjamin Button? Like, how are you getting better every year? What is? Are your wrinkles going away? Like, I don't understand what this. Is, I don't understand what's happening. Like, what are you doing that you're not telling me? What are you eating in your breakfast that you're not putting in mine? Um, but you know, like obviously guys like LeBron James and you know Christy Rampone played forever. Tom Brady's. Like, I think we need to readjust the way we think about age and sort of aging athletes. I mean, like, sports science is so good. We have an incredible guy here, Nick Lehman, um, who just keeps everyone tip-top shape. So I feel like in this stage of my this sort of second career, um, 
I'm just more focused on each year and sort of like keeping myself ready each year. As long as I, I love it and, um, you know, my, my body's holding up, then I think that my, my style of play has longevity. Just need to stay healthy and, and all that. So I also like know that I'm not getting any younger. And, um, you know, this World Cup feels so different than the other two. I think my first one, I was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. Like, what? We made it to the final. Like, and then we lost terribly. And then the next one was still like, I'm still young and, you know, feeling young and kind of, you know, have that kind of, uh, you know, wanting to make up for the last one and, and do that. And now I feel like I'm, I am like the more veteran player. And yeah. in those other ones I had, you know, such veteran leadership. So I'm that person now, um, you know, being one of the captains and just being one of the older, more vocal players on the team and, you know, trying to understand the balance between you know, kind of guiding the young ends, but like letting them do their thing too, because they're amazing and like they have so much talent. So it's kind of an interesting, interesting balance, but it's been fun getting older and, um, you know, I'm, I'm still out there. So they haven't beat me yet. All right. So we're going to pivot to listener questions. Okay. And so some are frivolous, some are serious. Just bear with me. Okay. Uh, one just came in. I'm supposed to ask you, Bill, about your time as an intern on Bill Nye the Science Guy. <laughs> is that real? Yeah, yeah that is real. That's actually, amazing. So. Hey, you didn't know that? No, I didn't I know never that. that. <clears throat> yeah, I, yes, I worked on Bill Nye the Science Guy for, that's really how I got my start. I'm surprised really? it never came up. No, I didn't huh. know that. Yes, know right, that. Out of, right out of school, I got an internship working on Bill Nye. It's, it's probably one of my kids that sent in the question. <laughs> yeah. so, um, I'd like to thank my crack researcher, Mrs. Bowling, for this one. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, yeah. Love it. <laughs> yeah, so it was whatever. Great experience. Uh, Megan, for you, this is from Hugo. Uh, what's your favorite taco experience? Oh, man. Well, Tacos Chukis in Seattle is pretty bomb. That's the next line answer. Um, I'm from California um, and spent a lot of time in Southern California and San Diego, so, like, there is not a place in the country that has has better tacos than that and actually i feel like seattle's like you know has amazing food but it's lacking in the mexican food department so tacos chukis is the closest thing uh, i'm just going to tell you that tacos in tacoma are better just are they i'm okay. putting that out there for you huh? i'll give you some rex off air we can talk okay definitely um, i need that you said san diego i'm just like roberto's and san diego is my mm. uh, so annie jansen she says omg she's my hero uh, <laughs> she wants to know about your thoughts on queer visibility in women's sports and also the role of white athletes in fighting white supremacy in our uh, in our society yeah i think um for the queer athletes it's still too narrow um i think there's just still too many stereotypes or just the lens is way too narrow from which we we view um gay athletes and, and female gay athletes um i think it's changing um and i i think that um in part, it's actually gotten like so much better that I think people are like, oh, like I don't feel the need, but like I still encourage people to come out and to speak out about it. Like even if you you don't have to be, um, you know, on top of the soapbox like I am, but um, just to come out and 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 say it and to you know whatever way you want and sort of to be counted, I think is um, is extremely important and, and to give you know a, a dynamic face to what it means to be a gay female athlete, I think yeah. is super important. Um, I think white athletes' role in, in combating white supremacy is huge. Um, I think that it's something, frankly, that, I, that I'm disappointed in us. Um, I think that there's so much more that we can do and like so, so much more skin that we can put in the game. Like, you know it's happening. You know that hate crimes are up. You know, uh, like, white supremacists like murdering insane amounts of people just out of pure hate you know that's happening so in my opinion insofar as you know that and you're choosing not to do something you're you're choosing to do something um, you're saying something and not doing that so i would like um for a lot more athletes to to speak up and and to even just you know stand behind athletes of color people of color um who are courageous enough to stand up um like the, whatever the backlash you think you're going to get is nothing compared to um, the backlash that people of color get or how hard it is for them to stand up. So even just lending a platform or being an ally, I think, is massively important. And frankly, something that that white athletes need to do way, way better at. Okay. Uh, 
So I have a listener named Lady Jake who had like nine different questions. Okay. Um, so one of the questions is your thoughts on youth soccer, particularly on the women's side, particularly for low income black and brown youth and like the lack of access they have and like what kind of talent we're not getting through the pipeline. Just your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that in a lot of ways, the, the system really says like, good luck. Good, you know, it's thousands of dollars to play, and it's um, you know a lot of times in much you know sort of like richer um, communities. I think that uh, we need to do a way better job of 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 making sure that we're canvassing all those communities and bringing those kids into the fold and giving them um, an equal opportunity. As Bill was saying before, the sort of the investment piece, like the over investment um, in these communities. Um, I think is massive. I think we're leaving like huge swaths of kids behind for sure. Um, you know, insofar as the the sort of demographic of teams don't look like the demographic of the country, then we're leaving all those all those percentages of kids behind, and it's just not good enough. Uh, same listener had a question about your experience growing up in uh, Redding, California. Mm-hmm. So you were very vocal about like how the community was struck by the campfire. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're wondering about like how recovery is going and how are uh, friends and family back home. Recovering is going. Uh, recovery is going well. Friends and family are good and rebuilding. Um, obviously, it's a it's a long process, but I think that there's been a ton of support and aid. Um, there's amazing um, you know groups on the ground, organizations on the ground, the Shasta Regional uh, Community Fund, uh, which we did a little fundraiser for and which I was involved in. Um, you know, it's been there for a long time and has worked on a lot of fires that have been in the area. So it's kind of a slow process, unfortunately, and to be hit like from every angle um, multiple times um, this year was just devastating, but it's such a, a resilient area. And um, yeah, it, it's a slow process, but it's it's happening. Okay. So and I think California is officially out of a drought for the first time in eight yeah, years. So hopefully next are, year yeah. we'll be... A little less smoky for everyone. All right. So Ryan Healy wants to know, have either of you been to Red Hot yet? I have not. <laughs> I have not. You have, I have not. not yet. I have but not. I, but I've heard it's a, it's a must. Yeah, it, it's a must. It's a must. Okay. I, I might kidnap one of you and go there soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So next Maybe. from Peanut Brutal. Uh, one, you inspire me, she says. Not Well, you, you do too, but I'm doing this terribly. You inspire <laughs> her. Uh, who inspires you? Oh, um... I mean, my mom, for sure. Um, she's a huge inspiration to me. She, like, she doesn't really know it because she just is, um, you know, goes about her business. But um, she's just such a boss um, and just is, like, such an influential um, person in my life. And she's just such the rock of the family um, and just kind of takes care of everyone and, like, just has this way of always doing the right thing and staying up for the right things but just does it with the smile and um, she doesn't really know that she's doing it she just kind of like goes about her life like whatever but she's just a total rock star okay so question for both of you also from Peanut Brutal uh, what is your favorite all time Halloween costume oh, oh, anything a, you, Jim Carrey I, I had like a number of years where I was like Ace Ventura um, The Mask and like Dumb and Dumber all back to back to back so hi I can't even think of a <laughs> Halloween costume yeah. worthy of note there. So I haven't yeah. worn one in a while. Yeah, it's been a... Yeah. Yeah, my last it's time was seventh grade. I'm like, uh, I'm too yeah. old for that nonsense. Yeah. Uh, my closing question. And so I, I normally end the show with a thing called The Five. And The Five are frivolous questions, but instead I'm experimenting with something here, so bear with me. All right. Uh, I'd like you to give the audience one thing to read, one thing to watch, and one thing to listen to. You can make Bill go first if you want to. Yeah, they can go first. No, I was going to make you go first. (laughs) Well, listen to the Nerd Farmer, obviously. Let's go. I will definitely tell my uh, followers to listen to the Nerd Farmer. Um, I love that your perspective of like what's happening in the world, but from from your area. I think oftentimes, you know, podcasts, you listen to news or whatever, and it's like always from this huge perspective or from Washington or. Uh, meaning like DC or from New York or whatever, um, but to actually like relate everything back to your community, what you can do, I think is really cool. Um, what to watch? Um, us, come watch the rain. What? Good answer. Yeah. Good answer. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Bill's like, I mine. Watch Free Solo too. Free Solo was really. Yeah. Free Solo was amazing. Um, I just watched that. I was sweating the entire time. Um, 
and Bohemian Rhapsody was awesome. Now all of a sudden I like think I'm Freddie Mercury and like want to get one of those like arm studded band Please things. Don't. I probably won't. Um, but he was awesome. And listening to um, you haven't done read yet. What oh, thing read? read? Oh yeah, I did listen. I don't actually read a lot of books. I'm more in articles. I don't know. What magazine do you read? Um, love a good Rolling Stone. Um, I read the newspaper every morning on my phone, but read the newspaper. Um, I love the Atlantic. Those are all good selections. Read, yeah, read. Um, we were eight years in power by Tony Coast. That was a good one. Yeah. You've won my heart again. Yeah, that was that mm-hmm. was a good one. So, Bill, how about you? <clears throat> well, I, I mean, I gotta say, watch. I'll I'll, I'll expand. I'll say, watch okay. any uh, rain first, but any women's sports. Right? I think. Um, I, I think it's worth just sitting down if you have not done it before and give it a try. That, uh, you know, I, I think back to that uh, wide world of sports, uh, you know, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. Like it, it, that is not gender specific. Yeah. So I think that drama exists in all these games. And I think if people give it a shot, they'll, they will fall in love. Better that they come out and watch it in person, but... Um, you know, whatever. Watching YouTube or wherever you can you can catch up be great. Um, you know, I, again, I'll advocate for um, w- you know women's soccer from a reading perspective. That there's not a ton out there, unfortunately. Um, you know, maybe this is an area where again we got to put some pressure on the sure. you know ESPNs and the Sports Illustrated to write a little bit more about uh, you know women's soccer that. Uh, I, you know, I have, when people are talking about articles about women's sports, you'll you know, often have somebody chime in saying, it's, you know, they don't actually write about the game. It's always some issue around the game, right? Like the lawsuit will get a ton of coverage, but, you know, Pino could score a hat trick or we could win the championship and nobody's paying attention. So, um, you know, I suppose <laughs> it sort of boils down to clicks for publications now. So I'd say read that because, and click on an ad while you're there because then they'll run more of it, right? That that is a virtuous cycle that can be started up. So would love to see people reading more of that. Um, And listen, I don't know from a (laughs) listen perspective. That's Uh, fine. All right, so then the final question uh, is called the Katie Downs question. Katie Downs is a restaurant in town that like, I don't think pops at all. And so the question is, uh, what is something that everyone loves that you know deep in your heart is actually trash? And the following things are off limits. The NFL, Facebook, <laughs> and the Portland Timbers and Portland Thorns are off the table. Wow. <laughs> That's a good one. You get to be shady. I don't know, this is tough. You can make Bill go first if you want to. Yeah. I mean kombucha for sure. I'm like <laughs> there it is. <laughs> not a kombucha. I'm like it's fine, but it tastes like shit. <laughs> it smells like shit. It does make you shit, so that's good. But other than that, I'm like. Sorry, I have to hit the reggae horn for that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, kombucha. I'm like. That's an excellent answer. It's such a thing. Billy. Shouldn't be. How about you? I don't know if I can <laughs> top that. Uh, I don't. You know, I got asked this uh, question at the uh, event we had here a couple of weeks ago. I was talking about, and now I'm forgetting the name. The hamburger place here. Which uh, I said we go try the Frisco Freeze. Yeah, Frisco Freeze. Right. So, um, which so somebody said, hey, you should go try. It. So when you toes, let's go. Bill. No, no, no. Let's, I, go. I, uh, let's go. No, well, this is a good thing for Tacoma. Um, so I went. There, somebody said, well, you should go try it. So I actually left the uh, you know the meeting and stopped by, and yeah, that was awesome. So um, had a shake and a burger. Um, I am. Somebody had asked about like I think dicks and. Mm. I, I'm gonna go on record, Whoa. and this will—I will get hate mail. I'm sure for this, for the. Uh, but yeah, I'm not. Uh, I don't love. I don't love the dicks. So yeah, I know. I I'm know. with you. It's okay. Uh, I feel like I'm in California. In and out just blows it out. I'm shook. I, know, I am I shook. I, I don't. I don't. I, I, I think it's a great company. I hear all these great things that they're doing. So I don't want to like hammer on those guys. But I just as as hamburgers go. I would definitely go Frisco Freeze. The entire oh, I gotta room. Hit up Frisco Freeze. The entire room is like <laughs> I know, just dropped I know. a nuclear bomb. <laughs> I know. They're probably gonna throw me out of Seattle now. Probably. So, You're uh, done. I also have a realtor for you, so don't yeah. worry, don't worry. It's cool. Yeah. We're moving to Tacoma. So it's 
<laughs> yeah. No, I'm just, I, here's what it is. I'm probably just fussy. So <laughs> I think I know people love it and uh, yeah, re- no, respect like their you. views. But yeah, it's not not my. I'm going to walk fave. out of here and tweet that this this line immediately. By the way, just yeah. for the record. Um, yeah, no, so that's going to get me in some. You're in huge trouble, but it's fine. Right. Uh, I just want to thank you both for coming on the show. Uh, if people want to follow you on the socials, where should they look? Well, at Rain FC, right? So at Rain FC, yeah. yeah. I think my, I think my Twitter is M Pino and my Instagram is M Rapino. Um, Getting and, thumbs up from the yeah, communications people over here. That's, yeah. yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. They and should be the same, but they're not. Bill, you don't tweet much, but you do have a Twitter account. No, I, I yeah, I save my tweets for very, very <laughs> specific and important situations. You so, tweet about um, dicks when you walk yeah, out Yeah, no, this yeah. is going to be responding to people, yes, hating me on Twitter. Yeah. So. All right, thank you very much for coming on. Wakanda forever, y'all. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. The real question is, is the beer open? No, is the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Hey, Nate, are you good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm destroying the planet with this. This is Channel 253.